Welcome to the Lost Roman Heroes podcast. This is episode two, Aeneas of Troy. Way to sound like a robot. Well, I'm <laughs> okay, I'm trying, trying not to be robot-y. Anyways, welcome to our first official episode of the Lost Roman Heroes podcast. My name is Matthew. And my name is Mateo. <laughs> and together we're doing a deep dive into the history of Rome exploring Rome chronologically from the very beginning to the very end trying to uncover Rome's greatest heroes along the way and we're going to rank them so Mateo this is our first official episode and I'm a little freaked out by it yeah it's probably the hardest one that we're going to have to tackle or one of the hardest because starting this is I guess starting before even Rome the city of Rome was founded so a lot of the history on Aeneas is just kind of folklore and legend, so... Yeah, folklore and legend, and it's conflicting, and there are no... Certainly, no, there's no contemporary historians that talked about Aeneas, so this is all... We're going deep into the mists, but I guess we'll, we'll do our best. Um, so, one kind of leading comment, Aeneas is... Aeneas of Troy. He's not Aeneas of Rome, but he's considered by the Romans, by the ancient Romans, to be... The first ancestor, the first father, some sorts. Yeah, exactly right. First father. So, let's see what the Romans thought about him, or what they said about him, and what they thought his history was. Because again, we don't even know if Aeneas ever existed. So we've been looking at historical sources for Aeneas's life and most of what was, or the sort of the original Aeneas, I'm going to say history, but it's really the Aeneas myth, was written by a guy named Homer in a book called the Iliad. That was like the first mentioning of him, right? I mean, if you date back to his uh, other historical accounts. But that was all the way back in like the Trojan War, which is 500, 600 years before Rome was even founded. Yeah, exactly right. And in the Trojan, so the Trojan War, we've all seen movies about it, especially the Brad Pitt flick, which I just watched again on the plane the other day. Pretty good. Even though it doesn't really stick to Homer's story, they take a lot of creative license. But so we don't even, first of all, Troy, we think Troy existed. Troy was somewhere in modern-day Turkey around the entrance to the Dardanelles. And the Trojan War, the Trojan War that was written about by Homer, we don't know if there was ever really such a war. But the Trojan War, probably, something along the lines probably happened. I mean, there's enough historical accounts to support that. Now, the whole mythological um, aspects written by Homer, that's probably a little more tricky. Yeah, definitely. From from what I read, we know that Troy probably existed, and at some point it ceased to exist. There was some kind of terrible disaster that that befell Troy, and let's just assume that what Homer says is the truth. Like we're not here to try to determine whether or not Homer was inventing the story or not. Yeah, for sure. So, what's Homer's story? 
there was a city called Troy. And there was a king of that city called Priam. And Priam had a bunch of sons, but two were especially important for the story. One is a guy named Hector, which doesn't sound super Greek. Sounds more Cuban than Greek. (laughs) (laughs) Hector. The Priam of Troy had a a son named Hector. And Paris. And he had another son. Yeah, Paris. He had another. Like a female name from like Mexico. 100%. That's true. I wasn't even (laughs) thinking about that. (laughs) I was thinking more of a. Strolling, strolling somewhere in the middle of France, uh, Paris. But you're right; could be somebody from Mississippi. Like, um, what's his name? Paris Hilton. <laughs> oh my God! I hadn't even thought about Paris Hilton. <laughs> All right. So Priam of Troy had a son, Hector from Cuba, and Paris Hilton from Los Angeles. And this guy, Paris, got his father and his brother and the entire city of Troy into massive trouble because he fell in love with the wrong girl. Do you know what girl he fell in love with? Um, now that we're actually talking about it, her, her name escapes me, but the lady from Sparta, what was her name? Helen. Helen, yeah, Helen of Sparta. Yeah, so he fell madly in love. And by the way, I read it wasn't entirely his fault. Yeah, it was like the gods were yeah, like the controlling gods. him or whatever. Uh-huh. Cupid yeah. shot him with an arrow. Basically, along the lines of that. And so he fell madly in love with Helen. Helen, who was married to a guy named King um, Melanaeus. Yeah, Melanaeus of Troy. Melanaeus of, of Sparta. He was, he was a, oh, yeah, yeah, Sparta. Fell Ooh. madly in love with Melanaeus of Sparta, uh, Melanaeus of Sparta's wife. Melanaeus of Sparta's wife fell madly in love with him. And she, he stole her from Sparta sailed home across the sea to Troy and married Helen. And she became Helen of Troy. And needless to say, that did not go down very well with Melanaeus. Or, or the rest of the Greeks. Because Melanaeus' brother, um, what's his name? He was king of all the Greeks. Was his Agamemnon, yeah, King Agamemnon of Mycenae. And well, that didn't sit right with him, so it didn't sit right with his brother either. So that kind of uh, stabbed the backs of all the Greeks, all the Greek kings and lords. Yeah, it was a slap in the face to all of Greece. Menelaus, by the way, I was saying his name wrong. It's not Menelaus, it's Menelaus. Sorry about that. But anyways, Menelaus said to his brother Agamemnon, you need to help me. We need to avenge the honor of the Greeks, and I need to get my wife back. And... Agamemnon said yes. Now, it makes me think that there must have been something more here. Would, would Agamemnon really go to war over his brother's wife? Or was he just looking for an excuse? Glory. He was probably looking for, yeah. It was, yeah. The, it was the right op- opportunity. Yeah, it's probably the right God, opportunity. God, golden glory. God, golden glory. The right opportunity to take out a rival and to go down in history as one of the greats. So, he gathered his army. A massive fleet. Yeah, it was supposed to be the biggest fleet ever assembled in history or something like that. The biggest fleet in history. And he called in favors, too. He called in all the kings and princes of Greece, including a guy named Odysseus. And they set sail for Troy. Remember, they're sailing across the Aegean. And they arrived on the shores of Troy in modern-day Greece. 
and they beached their ships and they laid siege to the city of Troy. By the way, one of the things I found out by actually reading the Iliad, uh, originally I was just going to base all of this on Wikipedia, but I decided to go deep and bought the book. Oh yeah, that's probably a good idea. Right? And, and not just base this podcast on a movie and on Wikipedia. And did you know that the Siege of Troy lasted nine years before the epic final battle? I did know that. Oh, you did? I read the Iliad. You did too? A while ago, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. When did you read the Iliad? For school. You did? I did. I had no clue. Yeah. And the, the Odyssey. I'm colored me impressed. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I don't think I'd ever read it before. I just read it last week. What? I'm ready for this. Yeah. What a classic. True. Yeah, it is a yeah, classic. Yeah. So they spent nine years doing nothing, basically. Kind of the city was under siege, but these guys started farming and they yeah. got homes and they were just hanging out outside they, Troy for nine years. Yeah. Well, I mean, not everyone was so content about it. You know, this has had a pretty hard time. Yeah. Achilles. <laughs> they had skirmishes every now and then, too. I mean. Uh, yeah, we didn't mention Achilles. Achilles was part of the siege. And Ajax as well. Yeah, Achilles was a legendary hero himself. Hector's rival. Hector from Cuba's rival. Yeah. And he hated Agamemnon. Or, and Yeah, he did. He did not want to be there. Oh, and, and actually, Achilles was the son of a nymph, I think. So he was like... A little, a little godliness in him. He was. I think like a half-blood or something like that. You're absolutely right. He was the son of a nymph, and I think his mom wanted to raise him up to, to be a deity and, and dwell yeah. in Olympus with the gods, but they didn't let it happen. And they gave him, instead of making him a perfect being, they left him with one weak tiny spot, little like weak spot. He was spot. destined to be like the greatest warrior and achieve like glory, which is all he yeah. wanted, but he would have one kink in his army. Yeah. You, you know when I read that what? kink in his armor came from, I, I forget who it was, but somebody grabbed him by the heel and dipped him into some sub substance that basically made him a deity. But where he was being held on the ankle when he was dipped as a baby was the part of him that remained That's vulnerable. pretty unfortunate. It is unfortunate. <laughs> I mean, if his head's already in there, they might as well just dunk the whole exactly, thing. Exactly, just drop him in there and then pull him out. <laughs> Anyways, we're, we're digressing. So there was a nine-year siege. And finally, on a 10th year, the action gets going. And we start to see actual combat. Now, in Troy, there were obviously the Trojans, but there were also other people there, including the Dardanes, uh, which was a kingdom right next to Troy. And there was a prince of Darden, and I'm sure I'm not pronouncing the name of that kingdom properly. And his name was... Aeneas. And supposedly, uh, the Dardanoid, that's what I meant to say, supposedly this prince of the Dardanoid, Aeneas, was the greatest warrior of the region after Hector from Cuba. Um, and so, battle starts after nine years of hanging out and growing corn. And the Trojans sally forth and fight the Greeks and there are a number of different battles, but it was, the crazy thing about this is that, or what I thought was crazy, is that Aeneas is a, a big character in this. He's not like a big yeah, player. he's not. He's just a guy kind of in the background, which is pretty funny, you know. Um, that, the Romans, that the Romans picked him to be their... I mean, I guess it makes sense. If there's not a lot said about him, you could kind of just make up the rest, you know. Yeah. 
But yeah, there's not a lot of mention of Aeneas. There's not a huge mention of Aeneas. He appears in two battles uh, in the in the siege of Troy before Troy actually falls. And we're not going to get into the fall of Troy or the Trojan horse. Although I'll say one more thing that shocked me: the Trojan horse doesn't appear in the Iliad. It does not show up. It appears in the Aeneid. So really? Homer doesn't actually write about the Trojan horse no. in what? the Iliad. But no, that doesn't make sense. No, that's not true. Because it does not. In 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 the Odyssey, doesn't it mention that the Trojan horse was Odysseus' whole idea? In the Odyssey, yes. And there are some Homeric poems in which the Trojan horse also shows up. But in the Iliad, kind of the seminal work on the Siege of Troy, there is no Trojan horse. But the Odyssey was also written by Homer, so... Wait, what? Yeah. So, so how, in the Iliad, how do they... The, 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 the Iliad ends with the death of Hector. And, and Achilles. No. Uh, what? And yeah. Priam comes to... Priam comes to... Uh, Priam comes to Achilles' tent and asks for the body of he, his son Hector. And he back. drags it back. And, his and then he drags it back. And, and that's the end of the book? Cutscene. The Odyssey is where it finishes. Yeah. Oh. Exactly right. So in the Odyssey, there's a mention of the Trojan horse. In the Aeneid, they, they and go into it. Wait, so it doesn't. So, wait. I thought the fall of Achilles is only written in the Odyssey, not the Iliad. The fall of Achilles, Achilles fell after the is horse. not written about in the Iliad. Interesting. Yep. I, I thought so that. too. So, at the end of the Trojan War. Sorry, we're going back and forth here. At the end of the Trojan War, the city of Troy falls, and some people manage to escape. And one of these people is our friend Aeneas. Dragging his father on his back. Dragging his father on his back. And if you go to our website, which is www.lostromanheroes.com, there's a tab called Images and Maps. And underneath Episode 2, you'll see a couple images. And one of them is... Aeneas carrying his father over his shoulder. Obviously, this is painted 2,000 years or 1,500 years after the actual event, but it's pretty cool. So Aeneas, this guy who did absolutely nothing in the Trojan War except for fight two battles, escapes, hops in a boat, and sails away. With a group of escapee Trojans. Yeah, with a group of escapee Trojans, including his dad. Uh, by the way, can I read just one little quote? I'm trying not to get too Dorkorama here, or but but just one little quote from the Iliad, which is one of the two mentions of Aeneas in the Iliad. This is what we know from Homer. So this is Poseidon saves Achilles from battle. Excuse me, saves Aeneas from battle because Aeneas is fighting Achilles. And this is Poseidon talking to him and says, Aeneas, what god on high commands you to play the madman? Fighting against Achilles overwhelming fury both a better soldier and more loved by the gods pull back at once whenever you're thrown against him or go down to the house of death against the will of fate but once achilles has met his death his certain doom take courage then go fight on the front lines then no other achaean can bring you down in war that's poseidon talking to aeneas did I say that Aeneas's mother was a goddess, by the way? No, you didn't mention that. I forgot to mention that Aphrodite is Aeneas's mother. Really? So, human father, goddess for a mother, 
uh, it gives you certain perks. Pretty similar to Achilles, to be honest. Very similar to Achilles. Achilles and, and Aeneas are like doppelgangers. It's like yeah, one is... <laughs> Aeneas is like the runt of the litter kind of guy. Like yeah. The loser little brother kind loser of guy. Loser little brother, but he's, he's humble. And Achilles' big issue was he was he Ego, was a pretty yeah he was a pretty maniac. he was a pretty arrogant guy. Um, so Troy falls, all hell breaks loose, the city's burned, and Aeneas hops on a ship with his refugees, and they set sail. Where'd they go? Oh, they went to Carthage first, right? Yeah. You're exactly right. They went to Carthage. Actually, I think they stopped in Sicily first, and then they made their way to Carthage. Carthage had recently been founded by a woman Phoenician princess or queen named Dido, or Ditto. I assume it's Dido, D-I-D-O. And Dido and Aeneas fall madly in love, and Dido says something like, become my king and stay with me and let's rule the city Carthage together. But Aeneas said... He, he needed was, he needed to go. I mean, wasn't he told by the gods or something that he was destined for more? Yeah. Or something along the lines. That's exactly what happened. He was told by the gods that he couldn't rest and he needed to continue. So he hopped back on his ship. I think he left his father in Sicily, by the way. I think the dad died maybe yeah, I in think Sicily. He did die. Right? Yeah. And so grief stricken because he lost his dad, he left Carthage and sailed towards Italy. Dido was also grief-stricken that she lost the love of her life and she committed suicide supposedly according to legend and she uh before she killed herself she she basically cursed Aeneas and all of his followers that Carthage would always be enemies of his people exactly which is how the rivalry became, uh, between Carthage and Rome started exactly the rivalry that would blow up in the Punic Wars yeah that would eventually end in Carthage's complete Defeat. and utter destruction yeah, which we're going to cover later on in the podcast when we talk about Scipio Africanus but anyways he reaches Italy and they land at the mouth of the Tiber and something interesting happened there a god met Aeneas and took him down into the underworld uh, somewhere around or not a god it was a sibyl and took Aeneas down into the underworld and gave him a glimpse of the future and in that glimpse of the future, he learned that he would go on to found the city of Rome. So he returned to the land of the living, and there was a local king, a guy named... Latinius. Latinius. Latinius or Latinus. I don't know exactly how you say it. And somehow this guy from Troy managed to convince the king to let him marry his daughter, Lavinia. And they had kids. And, and somehow that would eventually connect to become Romulus and Remus. By the way, this is crazy. In, in If you go to our website, www.lostromanheroes.com, there's a family tree which is based on the Aeneid and some other Roman authors that wrote about this. And in that family tree, you see the line of descent from Aeneas with his wife Lavinius to Lavinia, to, uh, Lavinia sorry, to Romulus and, and Remus. And it's a crazy thing because if you think about, just think about the timeline. So Troy was 13th, 12th century. Nobody knows exactly when. 
and the city of Rome was founded in seven seven hundred or yeah, so BC. Like so four five hundred years. Yeah. So somehow, for five hundred years, the line of Aeneas continues in Alba Longa, which is the kingdom that Aeneas and Lavinia founded, and eventually, two kids are born, descended from Aeneas. Got raised by a uh, she-wolf. Two kids named Romulus and Remus. They got raised by a she-wolf and went on to do some pretty amazing stuff. And they're going to be the subject of our next podcast. But the end of Aeneas' story is is essentially that. He made it to Italy. He married a king's daughter. He had kids. And together they founded, I don't know if it's a kingdom or a settlement called Albolonga somewhere in central Italy and that is the end I mean he I think he sort of he disappears there in the story and dies and he is the progenitor of this line that will become someday Roman and that's it it's pretty abrupt it is pretty abrupt and it's pretty fuzzy yeah a little sketchy it is a little sketchy and so what I find amazing about this guy, this guy who, and we're going to rank him now, is that for the Romans, he was he was how they understood their world. Now, they weren't just some little tribe in a swamp on the edge of the Tiber. They were descended from Trojan nobility, from, the, from, from, the, god, from the Golden from Age. From a half-god, basically. From a half-god. And Julius Caesar said that he was a descendant of Aeneas. Augustus was Julii. a descendant. The, the Julii were descendants of, of Aeneas. And so they sort of pinned their legitimacy, their ancient legitimacy, to this guy that was sort of a, a phantom. Yeah. So let's rank the phantom. Let's rank, let's, let's, let's rank him. Well... How big was his military success? Didn't really have a lot, if you think about it. Kind of just had the opposite of that. And we don't know anything about his military success. So I mean, but if he I, was... I have a quote for you from a battle. We, we heard one about him being saved by Poseidon because he was about to be killed by Achilles. Here's another quote. This is one of the two bits we know about Aeneas from battle. This is, he had just hurled a lance at Achilles' shield. And, and this is what... Homer says about him. He hurled a heavy lance at the great and awesome shield, and its massive surface clanged as it took the point. Achilles had thrust it forth with his strong fist, fearing staunch Aeneas's spear with its long shadow would drive its whole length lightly through his buckler, groundless fears. So now not even seasoned Aeneas's heavy shaft could smash Achilles' shield. In other words... He got whooped. He got whooped. Yeah, Twice. exactly. He got whooped. He was mentioned. He got whooped. He got by whooped. The same guy. Yeah, that's exactly right. He got whooped twice. So, all right. This is the first time we're scoring anybody. I promise you guys, we're gonna get better at this as we go along. But on a scale of one to ten, how do we rate his military success? With ten being the most successful and one being a loser. <laughs> Zero, I guess. I mean, in his own right, he was a good warrior, but if he lost the Trojan War, basically had to flee his own kingdom. Yeah. He didn't really do much, did he? 
kind of had no Are we success. giving people zeros or is it one to ten? Is it zero to ten? I mean, he didn't succeed. The opposite of success is failure, so. Okay, so it, zero to ten we're going to do, and you're giving him a zero. So I'm going to write this down. Uh, Aeneas. Military. Mateo. Okay, no, I'm, not, I'm not denying his prowess. I think that he, he was clearly mentioned to be a great fighter. Yeah. But, but military success? I mean, did he succeed militarily? He was not successful. I agree with you. So you're going to give him a zero. Uh, I'm going to give him... I'm going to give him more than a zero because he managed to survive the war and to save some people. That's success. And, and that, took, that took something. So I'm going to give him... I'm going to give him a two. I'll give him a two as well then, uh, I guess. Okay, so you're going to go to two. So that's going to be a total of four. Uh, of four. All right, out cool. Out of 20. <laughs> four out of a possible 20. Next is their political success. I mean, he was able to... Uh, he had some relations with the Queen of Carthage. That's and coming from basically being a refugee. Yeah. And then he married a, a Latin princess. From basically being a refugee, and he so had nothing to offer her, no nothing. gold in his pocket, and or he ended up being a king. So I mean, that's pretty decent, you know. And not just a king, but a king of a of a place, Alba Longa, that survived for five hundred years and was able to give birth ultimately to, to the greatest, to the founder society, yeah. ever, basically. So I mean, I think we need to score him high here. Yeah, he just, I think, yeah, he did, he did well. You done good. You done. You done good. Yeah. I agree. I agree. You done good, but is that a, is that a, ten? Is this guy no, a ten? No, 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 ten because he did very well in his. I, I think like an eight. I think. Yeah. He did pretty good, but. Okay, I I sort of think that. I agree with you. I think he also eight. created a, a a couple century old, grudge match between Carthage and that, Rome. So. By the way, good point. That's a very good point. Something that almost wound up destroying Rome. Yeah, he scorned them. Yeah, he scorned them. He planted the seeds as well for a battle that would wind up compromising Rome's morals at the end of the day. It almost yeah. destroyed Which, them. At the same time, though, is also what propelled them to become more than what they were. Yes. An imperium more than just a... That's true as well. But yeah, so it's definitely. a bit of a mixed bag. It's not perfect. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if anybody's going to be perfect politically, although I for suspect... Sure. One guy's going to be pretty close, but we're not going to name names. All right. Cool hero factor. Is this guy, like, do you have this image up? So I think if this were about Achilles. Oh, obviously. 20. Off the charts. Right. I don't see Aeneas. <laughs> he's kind of just a run. You know? I, I feel like he's kind of a run. Yeah. Like, he wasn't great in battle. He, he was he a wasn't little even, bit of a crybaby. He was the best demigod kind of guy. You know, he was just. Yeah. He wasn't even the second best like warrior on the field. He was the third best. That's right. It was Achilles, Hector from Cuba, and then maybe Aeneas. But and we don't see any proof even, of yeah, that. We're, we're not even counting like Ajax and the other Greek warriors. You're so. actually you're exactly right. We didn't <laughs> talk about it. This Ajax. guy wasn't he wasn't ranked very highly. No. And if he was such a great warrior, <laughs> he was even told by the gods that like he's not even close to Achilles. So. And so stop trying to fight Achilles. Yeah, I agree with you. I think his cool hero factor is pretty low. Even yeah. though in the paintings that I or the images that we have on the website, lostromanheroes.com, he looks cool. Just but he's kind of just running away. And he's but he's kind of just putting his dad <laughs> over his shoulder and hauling ass. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay, so low on the cool hero factor on a scale of, of zero to ten. Wow, like a five. Uh, not, a five actually, being, and I, a five would be average. So if a five is average, a ten is 
killings yeah, and a zero. I agree. Like the worst you could get, maybe it's lower. Than I, I was thinking more like a three. Yeah, so. I put a three as well, to be honest. Okay, so, so a six out of twenty. So a six on coolness. Okay, so, all right, this one, this one, however, I think he's gonna do better on. The last one is lasting impact on the world. What was Aeneas's lasting impact on the world? All of modern culture, probably technology, society, most of it, anyways. So like I mean probably like a, a ten like we're being honest because if not for Aeneas there was no Romulus and Remus and then no Rome and no Rome and if there were no Rome there's no Hadrian there's no anybody science basically a lot of science uh, architecture technology the culture, legal legal systems of legal the Western systems, world yeah political systems re- democracy republics I mean the Greeks the the Greeks were democratic and republic states too but a lot of it like a lot of the, the legislative systems of the united states is pretty much based on rome so. united states and all of western europe and without a doubt but my okay my big question with this or my big issue is he was probably a myth he was probably mythical probably and so if he were mythical what's his lasting impact on the world he was part of he was part of the foundation myth, the stories that Romans told themselves when they went to sleep at night. So if we think of him as a myth, his lasting impact on the world, it's a little difficult to tease out. Yeah, but at the same time, we're talking about him. If this is what they claimed, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, history is pretty biased. But um, if this is what they claimed... Give him the benefit of the doubt? Yeah, I mean, this guy probably didn't even exist, if we're being honest. Yes. So... But let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's give yeah. him the benefit of the let's doubt. Let's say he say, did. Let's say he did. Okay. Aeneas existed. There. We said it. He existed. And if he existed, his lasting impact on the world is massively, humongously huge. Yeah. Ten for me. Yeah. Ten. He's like Roman Jesus kind of thing. He's like, yeah, you're right. That's exactly what he is. He's like the Roman Jesus. Or the Roman Adam. Adam. And and Eve kind of like wrapped yeah. up into one. Okay, so he's getting ten. He's getting ten for lasting impact. That's a twenty. Impact. And it makes her a, a pretty cool story, anyway. So it's an it's an incredible story, and I think that it's a story that gave the Romans hope as well. Even if it was a story, it was something that they clung on to and said, "We are." It's like we're the chosen yeah, but people. It kind of yeah, kind of messed that up with their hubris. The hubris, the hubris did sort of get in the way somewhere along the lines. But at least in the early days when they were a scrappy little hilltop town on the edge of a swamp, on the edge of a river, it gave them something to cling to and made them feel yeah. better about themselves, that they were chosen, yeah. chosen by the gods. And as we know in world history, when you believe you're chosen by the gods, that can, that can help. Yeah, for sure. Put a little pep in your step. A little bit. Yeah, <laughs> so right. Okay, so... We've scored him, and I'm going to add up the scores very quickly in my head, so there's 26, 36, 42, 46. That's a 46 for Aeneas. 80, right? And we have no, out of an 80, and we have no idea if that's good or bad. But Aeneas, 46, it's our first ranking, and good job, buddy. Is he a hero, though? That's the question we have to answer, isn't it? Is he a hero? I mean, Does it, he it belong just, in the Hall of Heroes? And it looks like the way heroes. you analyze it, because like in yeah. old epics and stuff like that, like 
a hero is just like what Aeneas is basically like someone that's yeah the hero is just the main the guy who went through a lot of struggle and stuff yes like Odysseus but that's but it, is that what is that we what call a hero I don't know I don't think so probably won't be able to answer that for a little while I suspect you're right but does he belong in the Hall of Heroes our Hall of Heroes I think, he's, I think he's more of a legend than a hero more of a legend than a hero or maybe a hero is a legend I don't know I feel like a hero is somebody that needs to rise fight against overwhelming odds yeah this guy just ran away and ended up in a town in Italy <laughs> he ran away and was, was very like pleased <laughs> <laughs> he was living like Mamma Mia <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with you I, I think he was more he was very shrewd what he managed to accomplish given the fact that he was a refugee without a penny in his pocket a dad that was dying uh, ex-love that wanted to kill him by the way we didn't mention the fact that he left his wife behind when he fled Troy he yeah, was married this before this guy was messed up I'm not it was kind of messed up he, just me he left his whole kingdom if he was a yeah. prince by the way which raises an interesting question to be a hero must you be ethical can you be an unethical hero I mean that's kind of like um, a vigilante complex isn't it yeah Batman yeah you're right yeah a little bit like Batman I'm not sure how I feel about that alright but we'll, that's something we'll figure out along the way but the question here is does he belong in what I've just decided to call the Hall of Heroes I say no and I say no as well I think he's a good legend yeah I'm so sorry Aeneas but you fell a little bit short buddy yeah I mean it looks like he always got the short end of the stick to be honest <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. Your mom's Aphrodite. He's somewhere on Mount Olympus right now looking down and us saying, I could care less. Uh, all right. So this is the last part of, of the podcast. And this is something we want to do in every episode, which is how would the world have been different without him? What, what's an alternative history in a world in which Aeneas did not exist? Or, didn't even, or Aeneas didn't escape Troy if Aeneas fell on Troy. Perfect. I guess. Didn't escape Troy. If Aeneas never, um, Carthage would have never had been in a, a grudge match with the Latins, I guess. The Latins would still be, the Latins would still be overruled by the, the Etruscans. Um, Italy would not be the center of culture and art and history and everything in the world. And I guess, I don't know, it's, it's hard to think about. Because and Carthage probably would have been able to flourish unmolested yeah. without an Italian kind of super state opposing them. For sure. And then the whole Italian identity or whatever would never have come to because there were Sarmatians, Greeks, Etruscans, um, Gauls. So that wouldn't have happened. And the center of the universe would have been China, probably. China? Just like today. Because China, I mean... China was like the other, yeah, the other eye or whatever, or I guess. Or we had Persia, Persia as well. Persia. So maybe Persia fell in, yeah, Asia filled would that be vacuum. Asia, more than it already was, because I mean, obviously, we only know so much about Asian history, and like, it's not given enough credit. But Asia would have been the center of the universe probably for the rest of time. And in in the Western world, well, you never know. Maybe Carthage would have risen and expanded yeah. and dominated the Mediterranean, although. Or another Greek super state, but that doesn't seem but, like. Yeah, it. but the Greeks weren't super state people. They were no, more about like, planting I mean, like colonies Macedonia, and Macedonia, like with um. Uh, yeah. 
Alexander? Yeah, maybe there would have been another Alexander, but at the same time, it just doesn't seem likely. So, I mean, yeah, I think it would have just been a bunch of little states and then Carthage, in my opinion. You know what? Egypt would also be there, but Egypt was already like, I don't know. I, I think you might be right. I, I think maybe the Western world never would have become so dominant. Maybe you're right. Yeah. Maybe the East would have been dominant exporting their culture. And we would be looking to the East for kind of the birth of civilization instead of looking to Rome as the cradle of civilization. Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. You might be right. Just like uh, China, Japan, and like um, Persia, little triad right there of yeah. culture. Imagine India. Uh, imagine what our culture would have been today. So the United we live in the United States. The the republic in which we live was founded entirely and completely based on this idea of trying to ape, copy, copy paste and from if from Rome. Democracy came from the West. Then, I mean, we could have just been under a little dictatorship right now. Sort of feel this sometimes like we're headed there regardless. Democracy was introduced to the East. I mean mostly by the west you think of like Bactrians or like in India that was all they're doing in Macedonians but like in, in Japan was just recently you're absolutely right like 80 90 years ago I hadn't really thought about that no there's no organic kind of Republican tradition in the east no just dynastic emperors kind of things kings wow that's Japan, a... Japan, Japan was only democracy 90 years ago that's crazy it is crazy no, but this whole thing, this seed that you just planted in my head, had it not been for... So, had Aeneas not happened, Rome would not have happened because we're assuming that Aeneas was a real guy. And in that case, this whole Republican ideal would not exist in the West because Rome preserved the, the Greek ideals, Greek yeah. ideals of, of a Republican Democracy, state yeah. that lasted for an extraordinarily short period of time in Greece but it was one of their great legacies to Rome. Yeah. So if no Aeneas, no democracy is basically where we wound up. Yeah, something along the lines. Because if you think about it, the Carthaginians were also a democracy of sorts. Yes. Because they were, it was just super different. Because I think they had a king, but they also had a, a, senate. a senate. But it was, I don't know, super weird. They did. Weird. They also sacrificed babies. Yeah, and if you lost battles. Yeah, no. Chopping block Yeah, for you. no soup for you. Yeah. All right. Pretty cool. Well, I think I think that's it for our first episode, or I guess our second official episode, counting the introduction. I loved it. Yeah, it, I'm content. Me too. This was a tough one. It'll probably get so much easier like from here on out. But. Yeah, I think it's going to get easier as well. So to our listeners, if there's anybody out there <laughs> <laughs> that's not related to us by blood, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. For listening to us, for putting up with us, please leave a review on iTunes, podcasts, uh, Spotify, Spotify uh, Podbean, YouTube, um, wherever you listen to this, please leave a review and please tune in next week when we're going to be covering Mateo. Oh, Romulus and Remus. Yeah. Right? Romulus and Remus. Yeah. Exactly. What really, I mean, our focus is going to be Romulus as the next yeah, hero right. candidate. But he's the great, 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 great grandson of Aeneas. Something like that. Yeah, I'm sure there are a few more greats in there. But thank you so much. Take a look at our website. 
lostromanheroes.com, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>